Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Janice Dean. I'm David Asman. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 14th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. Air travel is back to pre-pandemic levels, but a lot of Americans aren't taking flight with delays and cancellations grounding passengers. We can't tolerate any kind of risk to flight, which means if you have a system that even looks like there might be a problem or an issue, sometimes flights will have to wait until we are a thousand percent sure that it is safe and good to go. That's the right thing to do for safety. We speak with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The FBI can't really talk to Facebook for now. The president says America is safer when Europe is safer, and a drug investigation at the White House is over. It was a busy week at home and abroad. You're going to have a lot of skeptics out there who do not believe that there isn't some shred of evidence. Because if you've been to the White House, you know how tricky it is to get in there. We speak with Fox News Sunday anchor Shannon Bream. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Getting out of town during a holiday weekend can always be frustrating, but this past July 4th, hundreds of thousands of Americans found themselves booked on thousands of delayed or canceled flights. I flew from New York, and then I was supposed to be here yesterday, but they directed my flight to Washington and booked me a hotel, and yeah, I'm in Atlanta. Weather did play a role, thunderstorms shutting down some airspace, but airlines complain the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, also failed to meet the challenge, pointing to staffing shortages and aging equipment. So what's to blame for those long waits and departure terminals and worse, tarmacs? The main reason that we experienced air travel delays and cancellations around July 4th was weather. Pete Buttigieg is the Secretary of Transportation in charge of overseeing the FAA and implementing much of the president's infrastructure agenda. Happened to a lot of Americans, happened to me. I had a flight canceled uh, in those days leading up to July 4th. But what we've been working to do, even though you can't control the weather, is to make sure the system can bounce back more when it does get hit by weather. And we're also working to make sure that anything that's under the airlines controls, that the control that they're, they're stepping up and dealing with. I want to give them some credit. They've definitely made some big improvements compared to one year ago, where even on days where there's a blue sky and the weather was fine, they were really struggling to serve their own schedules. We pushed them hard on that. They've responded. We've seen improvements. So far this year, the overall cancellation rate is hovering around 2%, which is what we would consider normal. But I want to keep pushing it down with some of the technologies and strategies that we have. We know nobody controls the weather, but anything that the airlines control, they need to step up on. And anything we can control, especially at the FAA, we're going to work that side of the issue, too. Well, let me ask you about the explanation that was offered by United CEO, right? Because he said this wasn't just about weather, that there were issues with the FAA. He talked about reducing arrival rates at major hubs like Newark. Why is that? Why are fewer planes being allowed to land and take off at at these major international airports? 
United had some unique issues, which is why they were slower to recover than the other airlines after that weather hit the key hubs in the East Coast. They're especially vulnerable because uh, a lot of those storms were concentrated around Newark, which they lean on. Uh, if you back up and look at the big picture, number one cause of delays and cancellations is weather. Number two cause is airline operational issues, staffing, other things under the airline's control. But there is a third issue, which is the availability of staffing in air traffic control. Mm-hmm. Now, we estimate that that's somewhere between 5% and 10% of the delay minutes. I want that to be zero. And so we are hiring 1,500 more controllers this year. Uh, We're requesting the funds to do another 1,800 next year. Start closing the gap so that we have more redundancy. I want to be clear, this doesn't mean you ever have an empty seat in a position that that is needed in order to be safe, but it does mean sometimes you don't have the backups if somebody calls in sick. That can sometimes translate into air traffic issues, even into delays. Again, I want to be super clear, this is not the majority of the issue, but it's enough of an issue that we are concerned and we're working with Congress to address it. You have said that what, you're about 3,000 air traffic controllers short right now. Is that the right number? Yeah, the number that, that I would consider optimal that we would like to see is about 3,000 more than we have right now. And you got to remember, uh, like I said, we're hiring 1,500 now, 1,800 next year. But you also have retirements, attrition, people leaving. So you have to hire at a faster clip than people who are leaving the organization. And you got to remember, it can take years to train. Not only do you have to train to be an air traffic controller in general, You have to train sometimes a year or longer to learn the specific airspace you're going to be in charge of. It's that complicated. It's that detailed. And so that training process needs a lot of investment, and it does take a little bit of time. Now, I was going to ask you about that, sort of what is the process for working people through that pipeline? Because it seems like a job that you can't just sit down and do. Exactly. So they come in through a facility. We have an academy in Oklahoma. It's remarkable to see the work that goes on there. But we want to make sure that that they get the resources to grow and and train more controllers. Then you go through a whole other process where it's on-the-job training or near-the-job training, so to speak, where you're learning the particular area. In other words, we can't just move you from Chicago to Jacksonville and uh, overnight you you can work in Jacksonville the same way you did there. You have to learn all of the ins and outs of that particular airspace. And there are, as you might imagine, is a very, very high standard for being able to qualify in those particular spaces. One of the issues that has cropped up, and this happened here in the Washington area just last month, I think it was June 25th, there was a major ground stop here because of a maintenance issue at an air traffic. I mean, that's not staffing shortage and that's not airlines, that's infrastructure. How concerning is that to you and how concerning should those issues be for the flying public? There was a delay, I think about a 90-minute stoppage in Washington on that day. There was also an issue in January of this mm-hmm. year that really rippled through the entire system for about a day. And these, I think, are strong warning signs about the need to invest more in modernizing these systems, the technology, the equipment that keeps everybody safe. Uh, we can't tolerate any kind of risk to flight, which means if you have a system that even looks like there might be a problem or an issue, sometimes flights will have to wait until we are a thousand percent sure that it is safe and good to go. That's the right thing to do for safety, but you don't want to be in that situation in the first place. And so you're going to see us in Congress asking for some pretty big numbers. So you're going to see a lot of zeros there, but that is going into the equipment that helps make sure that flights are safe and on time. We think it's a good investment. Is that a hard sell to Congress? 
You know, I think Congress understands the importance of the issue. They have questions, uh, fair questions about making sure that th- those dollars get spent well. But I'll tell you what I'm seeing right now as this FAA reauthorization moves mm-hmm. through the House and the Senate is there's some good bipartisan work happening. I don't think you have to be a Democrat or Republican to care about flights getting where they are safely and on time. And we're embracing that. And we really want to work with both parties, both houses to get this done. Let me ask one more issue related to this uh air travel and delays that people are having, and that's pilot shortages. Airlines were given a lot of money to help work through the pandemic. Um, And that's understandable, right? People were flying less. Airlines were trying to figure out how to do the routing, but they, they got a lot of federal funds and still reduced staff. Are there enough trained pilots on the workforce right now? Yeah, pilot availability is clearly an issue, especially in certain aircraft types and certain routes. As you said, taxpayers put a lot of money into keeping the airline industry going. On one hand, we're really glad that things have changed. Two years ago, the big question was, are the airlines going to go out of business? Now the big question is, can they keep up with demand? That's a good thing economically, but we need to make sure they're actually ready. Now, there were requirements that came with that funding, that the airlines couldn't let staff go. But there were a lot of early retirements and other incentives that ultimately left the airlines with a short workforce. And they're still making up for that. They're in a better place than they were a year ago. But like air traffic controllers, pilots, of course, can't be prepared, qualified or trained overnight. And so they've got to make sure that they have the staffing they need for the years to come. And we're looking at ways, you know, I don't think the taxpayer should be funding what what these companies need to do. But we are funding some work to promote STEM career fields for uh, young students who might not realize aviation could be in their future uh, and other things to encourage that workforce side because like the rest of the economy workforce can be a real limiting factor if we don't address it you talked about the early retirements pilots through the faa have to retire at 65 um it's been like that for a long time is that too young to be asking veteran pilots people with a ton of experience to to step away Well, that's not just a a U.S. law. That's an international standard. And all all of our safety standards are based on on safety practices that have built up over the years and and a lot of data, too. We don't think this is the time to change that. And I would want to see a lot more data before we could feel comfortable with any kind of change to that. But it is being discussed. I know there's interest in Congress on that. And uh, one of the things that's being debated in this reauthorization bill. Let me uh, switch gears a little bit to automobiles. I spent the 4th of July on I-95 a lot of time on I-95, more than I thought we would spend on I-95. But <laughs> as we were driving up, and I went all the way to the Canadian border at, at one point over the weekend, there were a lot of gas stations, rest areas that have these charging stations. And I know mm. you are making a big push with the administration towards EVs. But it strikes me that there are a lot of areas in this country where you can't go from point A to point B and not run out of battery, right? Can that infrastructure keep up with the demand that you're now seeing for these electric vehicles? Is Ford and Chevy are rolling out a large number of these vehicles? So we need to move aggressively to get enough chargers out there. The automotive industry is moving quickly to electric. There's got to be the charging infrastructure to support that. Our goal is 500,000 chargers around the country by the end of the decade. Now, I do want to stress that this is pretty different from gas stations because the majority of Americans will be able to charge their vehicles at home. But the majority doesn't mean everybody. If you live in an apartment building, you don't have a garage, uh, you're going to need another source of charging routinely. And if you're on a road trip, 
then you got to right. make sure in the same way you can count on a gas station being there when you need it, that, that you can get a charge when you need it. One of the requirements we have as we're putting this funding out to the states is you shouldn't go more than 50 miles without coming across a charger. That's not the reality today on our highway network, but we need to make that the reality quickly so that nobody is, is worried about, uh, as they're making that choice about whether to go electric, uh, last thing you should be worried about is whether you can actually get to where you're going. Is there anything that you're department can do to make the price point for electric vehicles lower? Because that's the other reason that consumers aren't always buying into this EV push. Well, the Inflation Reduction Act directly removed thousands of dollars from the sticker price of EVs that consumers are paying for exactly this reason. We are at a moment where we've got to get to a kind of price parity. Now, once the prices are even roughly comparable, which they are in some models, not others, then you really are coming out ahead because even if your car payment's higher, your bill is going to be lower. Basically, what will happen is you have a higher car payment and a higher electric bill, but less money on gas and less money on maintenance. And on today's technology, you're already going to come out ahead. We need to keep driving those economics in the right direction, first of all, just to save people money, but also to make sure that this uh, the adoption of EVs takes place in time to help us with the other goals that we have as a country, to win the economic uh, uh, race for EVs before China does, and to make sure that we have cleaner air and deal with carbon pollution too. Let me finish with one last point, and that's on rail safety, obviously a big part of what you have been focused on, given some of the higher profile uh, derailments, but sometimes the not so high profile ones. There was a derailment just this week, didn't cause any injuries outside Union Station here in Washington. If you're getting on a, a commuter train or a long distance train, what should your level of comfort be as a passenger? The overall passenger railroad safety record in the U.S. is exceptionally safe. In order to keep it that way, we want to make sure even a minor incident gets investigated and gets a lot of attention. And if you look on the freight railroad side, there is a derailment literally every day in this country, and there always has been. Uh, thankfully, most of them are not severe. Uh, uh, most of them don't cause hazardous material releases, but enough of them do that we need to do more. Now, we've been pushing hard on this as a department, but I also want to highlight bipartisan legislation on railway safety that's moving through the Senate right now that would allow us to do more that would directly improve railroad safety in this country. We hope it gets to the president's desk. And uh, as soon as it does, we'll be working in this department to implement those provisions and make railroading safer in America. Mr. Secretary, appreciate your time. Have a great day. Same here. Thanks for having me on. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. The president wrapped up a five-day trip across Europe visiting three countries, meeting with NATO leaders for a summit in Finland, where he held a joint press conference with the president of the latest country to join NATO. We discussed, Mr. President, where we stand at an inflection point in history, where uh, the decisions we make now are going to determine the course of the history for the next four, five, six decades. He was asked what assurances he can give that the U.S. will remain a reliable NATO partner. Peace and security in Europe is essential to U.S. security and peace. The idea that there could be conflict in Europe among our friends and us not engaged has never happened in modern history. That's why we're staying together. But he was also asked about a commitment to Ukraine that they will join NATO, just not right now. No one can join NATO while a war, a war is going on. 
where a NATO nation is being attacked, because that guarantees that we're in a war, and we're in a third world war. So that is not about whether or not they should or shouldn't join. It's about when they can join, and they will join NATO. As for how Russian President Vladimir Putin would or might react to all of this NATO talk, President Biden said Putin's already lost the war in Ukraine. Following his press conference in Helsinki, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis told Fox News if the goal is peace and security, adding in Ukraine may not make sense, even if Russia is weakened. Russia poses no conventional threat to the United States or NATO that we couldn't crush with our own. And Putin Mm -hmm. is aware of that. And there is no evidence that he would come and attack us. But we have to look after our national security interests. And Biden should never extend NATO invitation to Ukraine, not now or in the future, frankly. Either way, Russia's war in Ukraine does continue and Europe remains on edge as NATO expands. You know, there are all kinds of people who are worried about Ukraine joining NATO because of Article 5, which they feel like would immediately trigger an obligation that would draw the West into a direct conflict with Russia. So I think even Zelensky gets that. It's like, okay, I'm not getting into NATO while there's an ongoing war with Russia. Shannon Bream is the host of Fox News Sunday. But he's frustrated because obviously it telegraphs strength and protection for him to be able to join. Um, But there are concerns in the U.S. and many other countries as well. Um, It's interesting to me that Putin, one of his claims about why he, you know, is doing this with Ukraine is because NATO was getting too close, infringing on his borders. He didn't want you, Mm -hmm. you know, to have Ukraine in NATO. And now he's like driving them into their arms. So can understand Zelensky's frustrations. But I think he also understands that all of these countries do not want to get into a direct conflict with Russia at this moment or ever. (laughs) Uh, or ever. So uh, it sounds like in the interim, we are going to send cluster munitions to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I I understand most countries have an agreement not to use them. There's a ban because they can be, they can pose dangerous risks years later if they're a dud, if they land and they serve as a landmine risk. But uh, notably, we, Ukraine and Russia have not banned them. And now it sounds like we're sending these because we're, we've run out of other munitions to send them, right? I mean, this has been an ongoing issue. Our mm-hmm. our munitions stockpile, in, in particular, is that? Am I am I reading this right? Is that sort I of mean, where we're at? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's what President Biden has been telegraphing, and it's what we've heard from other people for months. There are think tanks and defense analyst groups here in Washington that have been warning for a long time. They keep a running list of exactly which munitions we're running low on, how many years of production it would take to catch up. I mean, this is a very real problem. Um, We are doing a deep dive on Fox News Sunday this week into this and digging and seeing, okay, where's the problem? Is there not money allocated? Have there not been orders to these factories? I mean, nobody could have foreseen this war that Russia has launched on Ukraine. We're 500 days in. Obviously, we couldn't have known that was going to deplete us this way. But you've got Taiwan, where obviously they want to telegraph strength so China doesn't just show up one day and say, okay, you're ours now. They've ordered things from us three years ago that we have not delivered to them. So it causes us an exposure at home and in our allies around the world that we want to help when we're out of things like stinger missiles and bullets. And so we want to know where the problem is and how quickly it's going to take us to catch up. And it's so interesting, Shannon, a little off topic, but I wonder if you guys will dive into this. It sounds like every defense hearing I listen to, the thing the defense industry wants is some sort of signal, right? That, that mm-hmm. you know, that there's not going to be a waste, that if they make the things that we tell them we need that they will be bought, that they will right. not lose, uh, you know, a lot of money on on making this. But you 
you can't, I mean, that's like asking to predict, tell us if there will be war. I mean, it sounds like such a dicey thing to to be in. Yeah. And listen, we're definitely at a moment right now that the Ukraine-Russia thing looks intractable at this point. So we know we need these things. Mm -hmm. And there's been talk about some of the defense contractors rescaling up, retooling up some of their operations so that they can meet these needs. But, you know, the groups that are tracking the deficit that we have with many of these things make it clear that we need to get going. Now, again, these defense contractors aren't going to tool up their factories without hardcore orders from the federal government. So, again, that's our question and part of our investigation are they waiting on orders? Has Congress not funded them? It feels like there's always money for defense spending, but is it not being spent well? The Pentagon has failed five audits. Every audit it's had, it's failed on spending. Wow. So there are problems somewhere in the chain. And the bottom line, it ends up being it, it presents a national security risk to us and our allies when we don't have those things on hand. Shannon, to, to your earlier point about Vladimir Putin, it sounds like Sweden will likely be joining NATO after Turkey fought that over terrorist concerns. They accused mm-hmm. Sweden of harboring Kurdish terrorists. But now it sounds like Turkey's president did this 180. He's sending Sweden's bid to his own parliament for approval. And of course, as we know, as, as Biden, as President Biden ended his trip uh, in Helsinki next to uh, Finland's leader, Finland's in, right? Does any of this matter to, to Vladimir Putin, whether it's munitions, Finland and Sweden now in NATO? Like, what is what is the... I mean, I, you're not in Vladimir Putin's head, but given what we know <laughs> of him, mm-hmm. given what we know of him, does any of this matter to him? Well, you know, Finland's president was here earlier in the year. I believe it was this year. I'm trying to think of what month it was. But anyway, we interviewed him for Fox News Sunday and I talked to him about this. You know, Finland um, very much wanted to be admitted, has been admitted to NATO. And he talks about this extensive border that they have with Russia mm-hmm. and how you know, it really does make a difference to them. So as much as Putin is saying, I don't like the incursion of NATO into my territory or showing up in my neighborhood, he's pushing people with his behavior to want to be in NATO. Now, on the Sweden issue, you know, they want um, Turkey wants F-16s. And um, I guess we've had a conversation about giving them those F-16s. But there are members of Congress who can block that. Senator Menendez out of New Jersey, Democrat, has been blocking that. I mean, he's somebody mm-hmm. who's going to have to sign off on it. So there might be a few more bumps in the road before this Turkey-Sweden thing is handled. And, you know, Hungary has objected to Sweden's admission as well. So there have been a lot of high fives like, oh, the NATO thing went great. But there are still a lot of loose threads that have to be figured out. All right. So let's go back from Europe and bring it home. Because while uh, the president was uh, overseas, uh, our lawmakers were busy and uh, including our FBI director, they were interviewing, uh, interrogating the director of the FBI before the House Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. Um, As you saw, as many of us saw, uh, Ray was accused of running an agency that's biased against conservatives. Um, But what was interesting, and this was part of the hearing, is this hearing happened on the heels of a federal court ruling where a judge appointed by former President Trump said federal agencies like the FBI can no longer communicate with social media companies um, pertaining to things about like suppressing information or removing or deleting posts. Does such a ruling stand, Shannon? Does that last or does the appeals process, you know, obviously it remains to be seen? Mm -hmm. So for now, it's just a temporary injunction, but it was a 155 page temporary injunction. So makes you think you know where this court is going when they get to a permanent decision. 
But it's not final yet. I mean, he used very descriptive language, this Judge Dowdy. He, he talked about the U.S. government essentially being akin to, in places, the Orwellian Ministry of Truth. Like, they decide which viewpoints can be shared, can't be shared. And um, obviously, that creeps out a lot of people. And this judge thought that there was enough evidence that that was going on between the federal government and these social media companies, big tech And he said, you know, that's just not the idea of free speech and free thought that we have in this country. So very full-throated in those 155 pages from him. We'll wait to see what the final ruling is in that case. And yeah, you're right. Then we've got the appeals process. Does it end up at the Supreme Court? If it does, you know I'll be there covering it. Um, (laughs) But it raises a lot of questions because when Elon Musk, whether you love him or hate him, went inside Twitter, then we started to get an inside look at what was happening there. These regular calls that involved FBI, DHS, other agencies, requests, you know, flagging specific tweets or people. So um, I don't think anybody should want their government to be controlling viewpoints and speech because if it's your team right now, you know, you might be on the other end of this. It might be the other team that's controlling things exactly. down the road. And I think as Americans, gosh, we have fought and bled and died over this idea of something that we have so unique, the First Amendment, where you can go and rip on every leader in this country and not end up in jail. <laughs> you know, so I think we all are very unique as Americans in that most of us who've been around long enough realize how valuable that is. All right. Finally, Shannon, the Secret Service has closed the investigation into the discovery of cocaine at the White House, saying basically there's no fingerprints, there's no DNA or physical mm-hmm. evidence and no surveillance um, necessarily pinpointing who this might belong to. I-, I understand that we're now moving on, but should the Secret Service say, you know, if that substance had been something else, something more dangerous, Maybe we should reexamine some security protocols to make sure this doesn't happen again, that somebody brings something in the White House and we can't figure out who brought it. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of skeptics out there who do not believe (laughs) that there isn't some shred of evidence. Because if you've been to the White House, you know how tricky it is to get in there. Um, If you're hard pass holders, member of the press or you're visiting for the day. Your social security, the town you were born in, your mother's maiden name, like you don't just show up at the gate and get in. Like if you're working there, obviously there are um, very tight restrictions on which areas that you're in based on your level of clearances. So this is a finite universe of people who would have been in that area. So I think there are going to be a lot of Americans who feel like "Hmm, we should know more than we do. But you're right. If this was anthrax or something horrific, I would expect we would move heaven and earth to find out. You couldn't just say like, oh, somebody managed to walk in here and put this deadly substance. I mean, there has to be a way to most Americans' minds to figure out exactly who is in what section of the White House at what time. This is not a mass event. This is a very controlled universe of people. It makes me think about the Dobbs leak over at the Supreme Court. That was a much broader yeah, you know, universe of people than what we're talking about here in the White House, as far as I know. So, um, you know, there have been questions about whether Congress has some investigative authority to do a follow up on this. The speaker was asked about that, didn't really respond. But I think there are going to be members of Congress to say, wait a minute, I think there's more we need to do as a follow on. I don't think they'll be hesitant on the House side to ask some more right. questions. <laughs> Fox News Sunday host and anchor Shannon Bream, thank you so much for joining Thank you. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 
A South Carolina beachgoer saved the day when a man lost the engagement ring he'd been carrying in anticipation of a surprise marriage proposal. The Myrtle Beach Police Department posted the story on Facebook, saying the hopeful groom had planned a photo shoot for the couple there, and it was supposed to end with him popping the big question. He had traveled to Myrtle Beach from Tennessee. The couple had been taking photos on the beach in different places, and when they got to the last location, that's when he realized the ring had fallen out of his pocket somewhere along the way. He flagged down an officer with the beach patrol who called in other officers to join the search. They had no luck until a community member with a metal detector got involved and found the ring shortly thereafter. The man continued with his proposal, and Myrtle Beach police say, just in case you're wondering, she said yes. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Laren. What's on your mind? The left is all up in arms over the breakthrough film The Sound of Freedom, which isn't at all surprising given it's about exposing child exploitation and freedom, two things they aren't really into. Surprise, surprise, liberals are triggered again, this time over the box office success of the faith-based thriller The Sound of Freedom. Not only is the film faith-based, not only does it shine a light on child trafficking and exploitation, but it also defeated Indiana Jones at the box office over the 4th of July. So naturally, the left has found a way to malign it by labeling the film a QAnon thriller. Even though it's based on the work of Tim Ballard and his child rescue nonprofit Operation Underground Railroad, which has been saving children from trafficking since way before this whole QAnon thing ever came about. So yes, the left, they want you to believe a story about child trafficking is linked to a conspiracy theory. They've stooped to a new low. I'm Tommy Laren, and you can watch my show Tommy Laren is Fearless at Outkick.com. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at guybensonshow.com.